0: Thank you for us to be able to come together and worship together to encourage each other to celebrate together lord we are so very thankful that you are the, the way maker and lord even when we don't see your hand in action your hand working god we know by the promises of god by the promises that we have through the scripture lord we know you're working and lord we just continue to pray Lord, i pray just for our service today lord for the words that we speak the lord's word that than be your words lord and your words alone pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and we are glad that you are here today. Um, it, is, it seems like it's been a while since we've been in this building. Uh, I don't want to say the church building, because you are the church. So that's the exciting part. Um, so I'm going I'm to be preaching from Zephaniah today. So if you don't know the book of Zephaniah, uh, you may want to start looking at it right now, trying to find it in your Bibles, unless you have a cheap Bible, like an electronic Bible. And you can just scroll really quick and easy. Uh, but it's interesting. We're going to be, it's where we're going to be at. Um, so at, before I begin my sermon, we, uh, my wife and I, we bought a house not too long ago, about a year ago. And we started working on the house. And this is how the situation took place. And there's a, there's a reason why I'm going to share this example. So this house was on auction, auction.com. So I, my wife and I, we, we prayed about it. We talked about it. We we're going to buy it. We we're going to try to buy it on auction. And during this time that uh, we made, a, I made a couple bids on it, and I didn't keep her all informed on what was going on. She just knew that the day was going to take place, and I, I just that was that was good communication on my part. And uh, anyway, so I, I'm at work, and I get this notification from at work. It says one minute, and you are still the highest bidder for this house, and uh, it's counting down. I'm in a meeting, so I excuse myself uh, to see what takes place. Uh, I we win the house. Um, And now I have to come up with $42,000 in 24 hours. Uh, Well, pastors are rich. We have lots of money. And so we were able just to write the check and go from there and do our thing. No, absolutely not. I was scrambling at that point. I was nervous wreck. I was very, uh, I I said, crap, crap. How are we going to get this money? And that's a strong word for me. Uh, It's like, oh, no. And so I had to call my wife and tell her what happened. Um, She said, well, you bid on it. You that's what happens. So she threw me under the bus pretty much. And so I had to come up with some money and blah, blah, blah. We got done with it. Anyway, so during, that, during the whole process, what I'm telling you about this story is that you know, we, for the last year, have done a lot of research now on foundations. And we've done research on structural walls and houses and sheetrock and, and all this kind of stuff that just plays into to reconstructing a house. And I, I came across this at one point. It's called Street Creep. It's only in certain areas that this works, that this takes place. It occurs when certain types of soil has this tendency to move um, under houses and streets that are above it. In a slow but sure process, the street slides towards the driveway of the homes. The driveway then gradually slides towards the foundation of the house, and sometimes the foundation of the home has become unstable. So it's interesting, so the the soil basically starts on the street level, it's not all that solid, so it starts moving towards your home, and it starts basically destroying your foundations. Uh, We don't have that issue around here, we just got a lot of other issues around here. Um, But as as I looked at this, in my devotions lately, for the last two or three months, I've been going through the Minor Prophets uh my, my tradition is if when I go to work, I get in my car, I put my, my Bible scripture time on, and I listen to the scriptures for 45 minutes, and then on the way home I listen to other podcasts. And so during this time I, I was really caught up with Zephaniah, the minor prophets, and all the different things. So this is a scripture you probably haven't read for a while. A lot of Christians, a lot of us stay in the New Testament where it's easy to understand, so on and so forth. But this one I want to introduce to you guys because it's pretty interesting. Because I believe, I don't know about you, but I've been frustrated in the last several months. Uh, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. Uh, I'm tired of wearing masks. Uh, I'm tired of having thermal scans done every single morning uh, because they're completely inaccurate. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that because, never mind. Um. (laughs) Hopefully... (laughs) Do you work with me? Just, never mind. Uh, anyway, so there's, and I'm trying to not have a lot of rabbit trails today. I'm trying to stick to my points, which we'll see how that happens. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm tired of being told what to do. How many of you guys like to be in control of your lives? Raise your hand. And if you're not raising your hand, you're just lying. And, and you'll repent later. And we'll have an altar call. You can accept Jesus later. Um, But most of us like to be in control of what we're doing. We like to to have some type of um, autonomy over our lives and not always being dictated what's going on in our life. it's interesting, as we look at Zephaniah, go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you would, to Zephaniah, small, minor prophet. Zephaniah means God hides. God was hiding or shielding his prophet from all the corruption, the violence, the idol worship, and his people that were involved. God's people had lost their way. Now listen, this is very key I think in my point. Instead of pursuing God and helping shape the culture, God's people ended up shaping the being shaped by the culture in greed, corruption, selfishness, and idolatrous worship. So, I don't know if you understand this, but it's our job as Christians to shape the culture of the culture that we are living in. That is our goal, that is our desire, that is our, I think, our God-given gift to drive the culture into a biblical realm, not into an idolatry realm. Today we're going to talk about idolatry. Today we're going to talk about things that come into your life, that creep into your life as a slow-moving foundation or slow-moving soil that would completely destroy your, your house. I, I want to talk about how in Zephaniah's time, their, their goal, their, not their goal, their directive from God... Was to change people's lives by their actions and by their lives and by how they live their life. That is that culture that desire has not changed today. I believe it's our. I hope it's your desire. It's my desire to to truly truly focus on changing our culture, changing the sphere of influence I have in my life, to bringing a godly influence rather than a corrupt influence. I bring up the whole culture, the whole point about being told what to do, because you can respond two ways to being told what to do, can't you? You can gripe and moan about it, which most of us do, and I'm good about that. I, I'm a good griper, I'm a good moaner, uh, I'm very, very good at it. Or I can take a different stance, and I can make the very best out of the situation, and I can glorify God in whatever situation I'm in. You realize in the Scripture, New Testament says, do everything without arguing or complaining, Every, everything in the Greek means everything. That's my agree, That's my really deep analogous there. Everything means everything. Every conversation, everything you do, do it without arguing or and without complaining as well. So here we're going to look at Zephaniah during the king of Josiah. Josiah was a young king. He attempted to bring change into the, into the region. He wanted to get rid of the corruption. He wanted to get rid of the pagan gods. He wanted to get the people back to worshiping God. And knowing that this impeding, meaning the wrath, knowing the wrath of God was coming. The book of Zephaniah is a very serious book. It's very, let me, let me just preface this as well. The very beginning of this message is very, you can consider maybe it's hard. It's very, the church, the, not the church, but the, um, the Jews were doing things wrong. They, they were doing things wrong at the time. It was my daughter, or my granddaughter, singing, cheering for me. The Jewish people were doing things wrong. They, they, they had fallen into idolatry. They had fallen into corruption. They had fallen into things that God not, had not wanted them to do. And I will tell you, my friends, it's, to me, it looks like where we are as a church in America. Now, let me, let me make this statement, this preface. I don't believe in replacement theology. Replacement theology is basically the church replaces Israel replaces the the different types of situations going on in the Scriptures. Zephaniah is specifically being directed towards the Jewish people. So I don't believe we can take the American church and put it in to that situation. But we can pull out the applications, okay? So just make sure our interpretation is correct on the Scriptures. But Zephaniah chapter 1, 2 and 4 says this. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away the people and the animals alike. I will sweep away the birds in the skies and the fish of the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. I will, humble, I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will crush Judea and Jerusalem with my fists and destroy every last trace of the Baal worship. I will put an end to all the idolatry priests so that even the memories of them will disappear. The, the, the book of Zephaniah is really having an intent that saying the judgment of God is coming upon the people because they have forsaken God. There are three graphic pictures of spiritual sliding in this the book of um, Zephaniah. Sometimes God has to shock us to get our attention where we are at. When we are apathetic towards God and we don't want to admit it, sometimes many times God has to get our attention to let us know where we are with him and where we stand. I will tell you my friends there are a lot of people in the world today that they think they are believers in God, they think they are true they think they are believers in Jesus because they come to church. I will tell you, I think there's a huge difference in our society today whether you are just a believer or you, are a div- or you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think there's a huge distinction between the two. Back when I was younger, 87% of the world, 87% of the Christians, I'm sorry, 87% of Americans believed they were Christians. The scripture tells us that even the demons believe that there's a God and they shudder. Just because you believe there's a God does not mean you have given your life over to God and that you are possessed by God. It's interesting, as we look, as we see different things, there's a a point of spiritual blindness, I believe, in America, in our churches today, that have a damage that we are seeing going throughout. The damage is that we believe... Okay, let me just give you an illustration. Let me just give a, a, a side point. When I was a kid... It was our responsibility, it was my mom and dad's directive, to sit in church, to look good, to be quiet, and to, to, to be obedient, basically. That's, what my, that's kind of a description I had when I was a kid. I was supposed to sit there, be quiet, and listen to the sermon. No matter how boring it was, no matter how dull it was, I was supposed to enjoy myself during this horrible time. Okay. <laughs> how many of us have been, ever been in a horrible church service? Mm. If you haven't, I got some names of some churches you can go to. Uh, just, just joking, sort of, sort of. No, really. There's been some. There's. I've I've participated in some horrible church services too. I've been part of those church services where my preaching was not the best. But here's my point: as I, I look at this, I see that our children are in the room today. Absolutely love it. It's noisier than normal in the church service. Absolutely love it. Because I, I, don't get me wrong, I love Children's Church, I love what the teachers do, I love their dedication of, of teaching our children uh, what the scriptures have to say, and also then parents able to sit there for 30 to 45 minutes and hear a sermon without distractions. I love that as well. But I, I will tell you, my friends, that today we are in this realm that we are losing Christianity we're in this point that I I want to say that we see all the negative things in the world today and we see very very little positive things what's going on in the church but I will tell you, I've seen several times, and take it for what it's worth, but there are thousands of people being baptized right now throughout the world. People who are dedicating their lives to wanting to accept Christ, and whether it means life or death, they're wanting to give their lives over to God and be baptized in His namesake. So today, my challenge for you today is to rid yourself of the idols that's in your life, whatever they may be, and we'll give you a little definition of what idols are, and be able to truly follow God with everything you have. But I will tell you, my friends, I believe that persecution is coming to the church. I truly believe at some point there's going to be a separation between believers and the people who are devoted themselves to Jesus Christ. And I don't think a lot of people are going to handle persecution very well. I think people are going to give in. Don't get me wrong. I like my life. I, I, I I like my life. It's comfortable. But a question I've asked myself, a question I've asked Lori here lately, are we, is our walk, are we being challenged by our walk with our faith with God? Or are we being consistent and complacent? Are we relying upon ourselves rather than relying upon God? Are we walking out in faith? Or are we just walking upon what we know we can do with our own power? And so let's look at idol worship is a huge problem for God's people. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even today, the passage of Zephaniah reveals a couple idols that were, being, that were causing God's people to drift away. Zephaniah chapter 1, 4, and 5 says this, I will crush Judea and Jerusalem with a fist and destroy every last trace of Baal worship. I will put an end to the idolatrous priests that even the memories they will disappear. For they go to the roofs and they bow down to see the the sun, the moon, the stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but even then they worship Moloch too. Baal worship, the Canaanite god of fraternity. fraternity, Baal worship involved terrible sexual acts to please the pagan god. Every spiritual perversion you can think of happened worshiping this false idol. Moloch, the Amulite's god, Or sacrifice children to this God. They might give their firstborn to pay for some transgressions. And I remember very, very distinctly when I was in college that one of our professors said that the Molech God was a big iron statue and was hollow in the back. And his arms were held out like this. And they would put wood and coal in the back of the statue and get the statue glowing, glowing red hot. And then they would put a baby on the arms of Molech and sacrifice it to the God. That is false idol worship. But I tell you, my friends, it doesn't... I look at America, where we are with the abortion issue. I see where we are there, and there's not much difference between sacrificing our children. I I understand there are times that we make decisions that we regret. I understand that we make decisions that we wish we could take back. And you were able to heal through the power of Jesus. If we've ever... If that's ever taken place. My friends, I look how the Jewish people were worshiping these false gods, trying to get good things out of life, and nothing good was coming. God's people at first worshiped God and God alone, just like He had commanded them. Then they began to worship gods alongside their worship of their idols. But then after a while, worship ended replacing God, and He only worshiped the idols Himself. Consider what is described here just for a few moments. In the very big beginning, people on the rooftops worshiping the sun, the moons, and the stars instead of the one who created. His own people are potentially sacrificing children. And his people are doing all kinds of terrible sexual acts that pleases a false god. It's a good thing we don't have idols today. Mm. i I'll tell you, my friends, anything, anyone, anything, any place that comes before God is an idol. Anything. It means my wife, my children, my friendships, my ministry to Jesus. Anything that becomes first and foremost, rather than God himself, becomes an idol. I will tell you, my friends, when we have been doing this house for the last year, I... I There was a while I spent more time looking at YouTube videos, reading books, and doing different things like that than spending time with God. And the Lord and I started reflecting and said, we have this backwards. We can spend every night working on our project, working on what we want to do. But if we put God at the very end, then what good is it? My job is to reflect God in my life and in my just in my life, in my ministry, my my family everywhere. And if anything that comes in the way of that becomes a God. I was, asked, I was talking to a guy last week. We were talking about spiritual things, talking about where we are as a church, as a whole. This guy lives in a different state. And as we were talking, I, I just asked him what his goals were. I'm, I'm, I love goals. I like, I'm a, I'm a list checker. I am. And I, I like my goals. My goals never work out. My plans never work out. So I don't know why I do it. Laura always reminds me, the Lord, um, yeah, determines your steps. I don't, that's the Lord determines our step, not Michael Longfellow. But anyway, I was talking to this guy, we are talking about spiritual things, also I asked him, I said, what's your goal in life? I was thinking, we're talking about, hey, I want to be like Jesus, I want to memorize the books of the Bible, whatever, because why do you want to be rich? Said, wow, you're being truthful. I wasn't expecting that. You know, at first I thought, hey, you know, he just wants to become more like Jesus or whatever. Just so do the pastoral answer. You know, you, pastors ask you questions, you answer certain ways. How are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm like Jesus, so on and so forth. And you don't really tell the truth to pastors normally. Anyway, so this guy just wants to, it's a, the it's a truth, isn't it? How are you? Let, let's just do a little quiz here. Let's just do the. So when you, in church, when you're dying on the inside, how often do we tell people that we're dying on the inside? Not very often. And Steve is really bad about this. He will ask me how I'm doing. And I'll say, I'm good. He says, okay, tell me the truth now. He like called me a liar to my face. <laughs> in a nice way. It's not, and it's not right. But he's older. Um, so, <laughs> gotta show my, gotta show my respect. Um, you know. The older generation, um, anyway, I'm not talking about anyone else except Steve, all right? Yeah, so anyway, so anyway, that's the kind of, you know, how often do we, are we going through turmoil, we're going through difficult times, and we, and someone genuinely wants to know how you're doing, and we just blow them off, hey, oh, yeah, I'm doing good, I'm okay, because you don't feel safe, you don't feel like you truly can open up to that person. But most of the time, when we develop that relationship, you can open up to people. You can speak, speak into their life, and they will speak life into you. Now, sometimes you may not want to. It just depends on the person that you're talking to. But anyway, I want to talk about the spiritual atheism. Some Zechariah chapter 1, not Zechariah, Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 6. I will destroy those who used to worship me, but no longer do. They are no longer asked for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessing. Here's a definition of spiritual atheism. A spiritual atheist is someone who claimed to love and worship God, but lives without him. A spiritual atheist is someone who used to worship and serve God, but no longer does. He or she used to look for direction and guidance from God, but no longer does. He or she used to seek God's blessing from him, but now they go to idols to receive blessings. A lot of people today, I believe, play church rather than live church. Once again, this is not the church building. You are the church your obligation, no, i your—I ob- must say obligation, your obligation is to change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, who are the people you have come in contact with. That is our jobs as Christians, one of our requir- requirements, I'm going to say requirements. Spiritual atheism occurs when we compromise our lives in neat and tidy parts for our own desires. That we leave our lifestyle of sinfulness at home, and when we come to church, we act like we're clean and proper. We act like we did when I was a 13-year-old kid being forced to go to church for my mom and dad. I am thankful they made me go to church. Now, at the time I wasn't, but so many times we compartmentalize our lives Of this is my personal life, this is my spiritual life, and this is whatever parts of my life I have. As a whole, you cannot do that as a Christian. It is all connected. What I do in my physical life affects my spiritual life. It affects my mental life. What I think about affects my physical life and my spiritual life as well. It is all connected. So the spiritual slide going when we're moving different types of soil to destroy our home, different slides destroy when we think there are no consequences. Just because God was patient with his people and wanting them to come to their senses and come back to him doesn't mean he will wait forever. We know the scriptures that God is loving and patient. We know the scriptures that he wants everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to a saving relationship with him. But God will not wait forever. And my friends, this is where it concerns me of where we are as a church of the United States of America. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I can speak for America. I can tell you where my priorities are, where my prayer life is, where my fasting life is. I can tell you where that stuff is and where do I measure up where with I am in my relationship with God. Where are my priorities? Where am I putting other things in front of those things? And there are times I do. And that's why I want to be real. I'm tired of playing church. I want to be, have a real church. I think we have that for a, a long time here. But what about the rest of the world? What about the rest of Rock Springs and the rest of Green River and the rest of the United States? There are a lot of theologies out there that don't make sense. But people flock to them because they want something to flock to. Stephaniah said, let's God's people know and let us know that God's judgment is coming. In the scriptures, if you've ever done a word study on the remnant, I would encourage you to do a word study on the remnant. The remnant is a small, normally a small amount of believers who are faithfully and truthfully following God. And they are the true, true believers a lot of people believe, but they have not devoted. And, and I, I wonder sometimes when I look at our lives, when I look at our, our church here, who is plain church and who's really a devoted Christian? And only you can answer that question. And I don't want to cast judgment upon you because I know, man, you look at my life, I got a lot of issues. I got, I got a lot of issues. But one thing I strive to do, one thing I've realized is that I need to put Christ first in all that I do. And it's so easy to say that. It's so easy to say that. But the day of judgment is coming against the Jewish people here, and God wants something powerful to happen. He wants them not just to be worshiping God on Saturdays and then going worship different idols. He just wants us not to worship God on Sundays and going worshiping different idols as well. And that's what many of us do. So Zephaniah uses the strongest image possible to get the attention of the listeners. He alerts them to take this great army that's coming to take Jerusalem. Jerusalem's their home capital. Are, that's, the, that's a sacred place. That's where the temple is. And Zephaniah is saying that this, this, this city is going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken away. We're going to go into captivity. Zephaniah says, listeners, know that the day of the Lord's judgment against Jerusalem, against all the nation, against the nation. In this section, Zephaniah winds the net of those who will be ca- caught in the calamity. He, even the names of the Amorites, Moabites, Philistines, and Assyrians. He talks about the people that are going to come in and cause destruction. You know how much talk there is about destructions of the United States of America right now? Oh my goodness. You just Google rapture, World War III, uh, end times. You, you talk about that and you see all the, the, this thought process of all these different countries coming in, wanting to come against America. In in their theology. Some of us, a lot of us wrong. Alright, he specifically targets the leaders and the prophets and the priests of Israel. He does this because they are so corrupt, so violent, so strangled, and so distant from God. He's talking about the priests, the people who are supposed to be taking the people into worshiping. He's talking about the priests who are supposed to be going ahead of them and bringing them before God. These people are corrupt. They're they're distanced. They're idolatry worshipers. No matter how far we slide, God always provides a way of escape. Why does God have to act so severely? What does God have to do to get your attention? I think, I don't know about you, I'm slow. I'm a slow guy. I don't get hints. I don't understand when Lori's trying to hint around that she wants something. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. She know, one has to text me. Michael, I want this. Okay, we'll get it. Let's do it. If you just say, hey, I'm thinking about, I really want this, but you know, oh, you just want it. That means we're not going to get it. That's completely different. <laughs> completely. is that true, guys? Steve? Whatever. All right. I'm just trying to get Steve in trouble today. I don't know why. All right, but anyway, we, we look at the scriptures and God always provides a way out. He acts severely. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9 says this. I will purify the lips of the people. All of them may call upon the name of the Lord. Serve him shoulder to shoulder. These promises find their way all back to Genesis chapter 12 when God promised the blessings to, nation, to the nation of Israel. Graciously, God does provide a way to escape his judgment. God desires restoration not only in the city of Jerusalem but throughout the world to his believers and the people that don't believe. He also restores those the faithful few, the faithful remnant, the small groups that hold the back of wrath, the wrath of God back. Zephaniah chapter 3, 12 and 13 says this. Those who are left will be lonely, lowly and humble. For they who trust the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will never tell lies or deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety and no one will make them afraid. They are called to sing and rejoice. I I want to ask you a question because this is a question I've been asking myself at work for a long time. What do people know me for? What is Michael Longfellow known for at Genesis Alkali? What is my reputation That's a question I sometimes you don't always want to ask. How do people see me in my daily activities as a Christian where I work? That is a question I've asked several people, and some of the answers are not positive. And I won't share the the examples. You don't need to know. It's just not encouraging. One is the reaper, the grim reaper. Because when you're in my office, most likely bad things are going to happen. That is not a name I want to have. But it's a name right now I have. But if I do have that name, I want to treat people with respect and dignity. I want to treat them with the utmost honor, whatever situation we are dealing with. You going to work tomorrow morning, what do people know you for? Your Monday morning attitude, good or bad, your positiveness, your faithfulness, your prayer life, what are you known for where you work? I think I, think we've, I have fallen into the realm of just going about my business on a daily basis without bringing God intentionally into my workforce it's very dangerous, because if that is the case, that means I'm doing it on my own power, not according to the power of God. So what I want to encourage you, just one challenge right now, is when you go to work tomorrow, your, your, your perspective of where you are with God changes. Your perspective of how you work tomorrow changes. Your perspective on church changes. I want you, I want myself to be So much in love with Jesus. So much on fire with God. That people look into my life and they know I serve him. And I don't have an issue with integrity. I don't have an issue with honesty. I don't have an issue with those types of things. They know who I am by my reputation as a Christian. That's a very big question for us. God brings justice and judgment in order to rescue and to restore It is truly good and gracious justice, even if it's firm and fierce in the actions. He does this in order to create a world where people can be treated right, where they can flourish and enjoy a relationship with God one-on-one. I I know a lot of missionaries who face persecution every day, who, who have the ability to lose their families, to lose their life on any given day, And they look at life as a joyful occasion to be able to serve God. You and I are nowhere near that type of persecution. But we are able to see people who are near that and have this perspective that God is first and foremost in their lives. The book ends with a powerful image of God gathering up the family of the outcast, the poor, the broken, and exalts them in a place. Zephaniah chapter 3, 18 and 20, read this, read this with me. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more, and I will deal severely with all those who oppress you. I will save the weak and the helpless one. I will bring together those who are chased away. I will give glory to the fame to my former exiles, wherever they have been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among all the nations of the earth. As I restore your fortunes before their very eyes, I, the Lord, have spoken. I want you to understand, my friends, I am, I am greatly concerned where we are as a nation. Politically. Economically. Spiritually. But I know where, how we are going to win this battle is by you and I praying for our nation. You and I devoting ourselves to be the representation of Jesus Christ. I will tell you, I, I, I'm not a prophet. Don't claim to be. But I, I believe the wrath of God could easily come upon America. Could easily come upon us. And I want to be ready for it. I, want to be, I don't want to be caught in God's wrath. I want to be submitted to my Lord and my Savior. And have no idolatries, no idols in my life whatsoever. I challenge you this week, starting right after service, to look at your life and see if there's any idols in your life. To see the priority of your time, the priority of your energy, the priority of your finances. Those three things there tell greatly what is important to you and what is not. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying read the Bible 24 hours a day. You've got to work, you've got to feed your family. But I'm saying look at your life and see the importance of your relationship with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you God so much for who you are. And Lord, that even wrath...